right, all right, welcome. I'm Mike Gaston, your host for The Currency Welcome. This is a live stream of episode number 52 of The Currency Podcast. Glad to have you guys along. I am broadcasting live from Gaston Manor in the sweltering, sweltering North Country. I'm up in upstate New York, and goodness gracious, we have been hot. We've had a bit of a heat wave last handful of days. I'm sitting in an old 1800s farmhouse that has no air conditioning, so... Forgive me if I look a little, uh, shall we say, damp. <laughs> I'm glad to have you guys along. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to talk about a few things. There's some great things been happening in the news. There's so much going on. This could be like a three to five hour show. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about Big Boy. They had a little bit of an announcement about their uh, about their mascot. You know, oh my gosh, we're uh, we're getting rid of our mascot too. They're they're jumping on the mascot murder gravy train. We'll talk about that soon. Uh, also want to talk a little bit about Kanye 2020. How could you not talk about Kanye 2020? That's such a such a great news story. It's it's almost like we're living in a fictional world. You couldn't ask for better. You couldn't ask for better headlines. And then also we're going to talk a little about a little bit about Gilead Sciences Remdesivir, the supposed uh, savior for mankind. This this virus killer drug that uh, sent the stock market soaring on Friday at its close. But yeah, let's let's uh, take a moment to say hi to a few folks. Now, if you're listening to this as a pre-recorded broadcast, you're listening to this after the fact, please know that if you go to Mike Gaston uh, on YouTube, just search my name, Mike Gaston, you can watch these live. You can participate. A bunch of people in the chat room right now. And uh, glad to see some of my friends here. So I want to say a few shout outs. Hello to George from Austria. George in the hotel industry. Hope things are going well for you, George. And also really glad to see Christian Frederico. Christian, and I missed this. Uh, last time I did a live stream, which was a couple, two, three weeks ago, I saw this comment after the fact where Christian said, look, I can't be there. I've got coronavirus. I feel like I'm dying. This thing's for real. Like I think he was in the hospital. So Christian, I'm glad to see you here. I had no way to get in touch with you. I really wanted to reach out and just see how you're doing and, and, and check in on you. I have no way to do that, obviously, here on YouTube, but I'm glad to see you in the chat. Also, Omar, welcome. Uh, glad to have you along. Just good to have a handful of folks around, and I'm sure more will jump in as we get going. But uh, hopefully you guys have been doing great. We have just been so crazy. These it, it's, it's like we're going from one dream to the next. You know, I, I feel like pre-COVID time, and this is becoming a cliche, everybody's saying, but pre-COVID time, seems so long ago. It seems so long ago. I, I, and it was only a handful of months. I mean, you know, back in November, December, even January and part of February, like it was the furthest thing from my mind. I think that's true for all of us, but it seems like a lifetime ago. We've gone from, you know, the explosion of COVID on the scene to, uh, you know, states shutting things down, the personal liberty arguments, Things starting to look a little bit better with COVID, you know, businesses going out uh, of business, people, you know, financial ruin, people dying, all this stuff. I mean, it's just been brutal. And then uh, we feel like we're coming out of this thing a little while ago. And then you, you had the race riots. I say race riots. It's not 100 percent fair, but the Black Lives Matter movement, the whole killing of George Floyd. And the outrage uh, from that, we talked about that in a previous episode or two, but it's just been nuts. And I feel like we're going from one kind of uh, dream state to the next. I, I, I saw somebody 
uh, wrote somewhere that this feels like a parallel universe. And um, what happened? How did we get into this parallel universe? You know, folks, sometimes uh, fact is stranger than fiction. And I think our present times are proving that out. I'm reminded of... Uh, of, uh, I'll say Semitic, not Jewish, but like uh, an old desert kind of curse, if you will. I think it comes from more of the Arab culture than the Jewish culture, but uh, that Semitic kind of desert wisdom. Uh, and it is, may you live in interesting times. You know, that almost sounds like, oh, thank you. That's a very kind thing to say. But folks, we're living in interesting times. That is not a good thing. It is not a good thing to be living in interesting times. This is uh, crazy. Well, you know, the great thing about something like this right now is that these are the, tri the times that try men's souls. Uh, and th these are also the times that show us what we're made of, each one of us. It shows us what we're made of, and it, and it allows us to be tested. It allows us to grow. You know, no plant, no organism thrives with no hardship. Uh, it, it's not true. I mean, you can be healthy and you can grow, but like you're going to become stronger with hardship. Uh, you know, plants that suffer a little bit of lack of water from time to time, they get deeper roots. When there's some wind that comes from time to time, they get a little stronger, a little stiffer. They're able to withstand hardship. And the same is true for us. It's why we go to the gym. As you can tell, look at me. I'm a specimen of, uh, of, of a gym rat. Not really, but this is why we go to the gym. We, we impose hardship upon ourselves. We don't, our lives aren't hard enough. We're not out bailing hay like our ancestors were or herding cattle or you know, having to build our own um, crude homes from scratch with our own bare hands, chopping down trees and whatnot. We're not fighting off mountain lions and so on to survive. So we've got to go to the gym and lift some heavy weights. We go, it's, like you, it's like going out in your backyard and picking up boulders and stones. Uh, so we find these hardships, but the reason I bring this all up is to say, we do these things to become stronger, to become fitter, to become more capable. And, and my hope, I'm just looking for a silver lining here, guys. I'm not trying to tell you that this is the best thing in the world, but my hope is for all of us that through a lot of this hardship, a lot of these struggles that we can become stronger for it. And I think that you're going to find there's a couple different, maybe two, three different kinds of people. I mean, there's some that are not going to get stronger through this. Some are going to so be subdued. Some are going to succumb. And I don't just mean like they're going to get sick and die, but they're just going to become overwhelmed. They're going to lose heart. They're going to lose faith. They're, they're not going to have a vision. They're going to kind of just perish on the vine, as it were, and not be able to thrive in a time like this. And I think there are other people that are going to say, look, I can't change the world around me. I can't change my circumstances, but I can dig in. I can control what I do. I can control what I say, what I think, how I behave. And I think that's part of the opportunity for all of us is how do we find ways to thrive through all this? Um, so Christian just saying, uh, I'm just going to put this up on the, on the screen. Christian's saying he's better. Thanks. I'm glad to hear it, Christian. Uh, he also says he's ready for 2020 to be over. It's been a nightmare. And yeah, I think almost all of us agree. You know, for me, it's been strange. I mean, God uh, has been good. I'm very grateful for being healthy. If I, if I got sick, then you know, God's still good. It's not his fault. But the point being, I'm grateful for my health, my family's health. But what's been crazy for me, I expected going through this whole shutdown with coronavirus and all the subsequent things that have been happening that, that my business would suffer. And it's, there's still time, but my business seems to be thriving. We've been picking up new clients and more work. I hired someone back in April, at the beginning of April. And, and that someone is my eldest son, Josh. Uh, he's been doing a fantastic job. He comes from a, an economics and analyst uh, background. He's joined me, uh, helped me as a content strategist in the business. It's been phenomenal. But you have been so busy. 
And I'm very grateful for that. So uh, I know everybody's experience through this is not the same. Some people are thriving, some are struggling. And my, my hope is that I, can, that I can encourage you guys and help you a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about Big Boy. Uh, did you see the news? Uh, first of all, for my international listeners and viewers, do you know uh, what Big Boy is? <laughs> Big Boy is a chain it's a brand, essentially. It's a chain of restaurants that's located. It was founded in California, but the current uh, corporation's based out of Warren, Michigan. And, and the company's probably, I want to say, about 80, 85 years old. Uh, and, and essentially what they used to do, they had this mascot. This, they still have this mascot. He's like this chubby uh, little guy in a checkered overall, red and white checkered overalls. And he's holding up. He's holding up a burger and he's got, it's a very 19 kind of fifties look. He's got his hair flipped up almost like it's uh, slicked back like a greaser. And, 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 and that's the big boy mascot. It's this kind of chubby guy with a hamburger and that's the big boy. He's got these rosy cheeks. Uh, he's cle clearly overweight and um, he looks like a heart attack waiting to happen, quite frankly. But, um, <laughs> but that's back before anybody cared about heart attacks. They just wanted those sweet, sweet burgers. Don't we all love a good burger? I mean, what's better? I, I, that might be one of America's greatest contributions to culture is the hamburger. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> I don't know that I'm willing to fight and defend that, but I do love a good burger. And there's, it's amazing. You go all over the world and get a good hamburger. So anyway... Big Boy is this restaurant. It's a burger chain. You can go in and get burgers and fries and milkshakes. Been around for decades and decades. And its mascot is its name. It's the Big Boy mascot. It's this, uh, and, and usually when you go to these restaurants, he's, it, it, there's a giant Big Boy outside the restaurant. It'd be this big kind of hard plastic uh, statue, if you will, um, of the Big Boy. And it's really cool. Very colorful, very bright. And mascots stand outside kind of welcoming you in. And so you drive around, it's iconic. You see them from here and there, and uh, you're not as popular as McDonald's or Burger King, et cetera, but you see them. And you drive around, you see the big boy, you go, okay, I know what that is. And you can get you know, brunch and eggs and whatnot as well, but it's a burger place. So big boy came out recently, uh, the corporate headquarters came out and said, um, oh, we're getting rid of the, the big boy mascot. The mascot's done. We're getting rid of big boy. We want to introduce you to Dolly. Now, Dolly is this, female character. So if, if Big Boy's this kind of fat, chubby little guy with a hamburger, Dolly is not necessarily chubby, but this kind of blonde ponytail uh, little character, also in overalls, blue overalls, very smiley face. Now, what's interesting is uh, people are like, you know, the media was like, oh my gosh, Big Boy's done. It's the next mascot to take a hit. It's the next mascot. Uh, you know, remember we talked a few weeks ago about Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima and the and uh, the cream of wheat chef, you know nobody nobody's tried to go after the chef Boyardee guy, have they? You don't mess with the Italians, all right? Like when there's an Italian, you don't go after the Italians because you don't know that guy. The chef Boyardee chef might be connected. He might be a made man. Just because he's in a chef outfit doesn't mean he can't you know break your kneecaps in the back back uh, alley. You know if you look at him funny. So no one's gone after the Chef Boyardee chef, as I'm aware at this stage of the game. Now, I might have to come back next week and tell you that the Chef Boyardee's out as well. But Big Boy uh, is taking a hit. All these mascots are taking a hit. All these companies coming out, PepsiCo and all these other companies saying, oh, my gosh, we've got to we're so so, you know, caring about black lives and inequality and in things that are not right. We're, we're getting rid of our mascots. You know, they never did this for for 
decades and decades, it was fine. You know, even Land O'Lakes is saying, yeah, we're getting rid of the, the Indian maiden on our, on our carton. I had a quart of Land O'Lakes uh, cream that we use for coffee in the refrigerator and the tea. She was still on there, so they haven't rolled out the new packaging yet. But, but everybody was trying to spin this like big boy's the next one to go, and so I checked it out, and, and, and truth be told, here's the long and short of it. It's a marketing ploy. This is not a, this is, this is, they're not committing to getting rid of big boy. They're just kind of rolling out a new chicken sandwich, and they're calling it the Dolly Chicken Sandwich. And the fact is they've got this Dolly character back from some comic books that they put out in the 50s. It's this girl that would knock around with Big Boy, and they're just trying to jump on, in my opinion, glom on to this whole political correctness right now. And they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 we're getting rid of our white male mascot. We're going to put a female out there because, you know, we care too. They started a hashtag, Big Clucking Deal, and they're trying to associate it with Big Boy. They're, if you go to the... the um, whoisdolly.com, you'll see they've got the big boy mascot logo up in the left corner, and then they've got an arrow pointing to it, and it says big clucking deal, like who cares about big boy? And now it's all about Dolly. So it's really, it's really um, stupid. You know, George has a great comment. George says, the chick for the chicken sandwich. Very good, George. Uh, you should be in marketing, my friend. So I could just hear the marketing message or the marketing meeting in the background. You know, these guys just trying to figure out, well, what can we do? How can we, how can we jump in on the, ac the action right now? I, I don't think that Big Boy is making a statement that they're ashamed of patriarchy and, and white male privilege. I think um, they're just looking for a way to get some attention. Now, good for them. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with trying to get a little bit of attention. I just hate the fact that everybody seems to jump onto these movements. Let's step back for a minute and say, hey, there are some things about being black, not only in America, but across the globe, that is difficult, that, that are difficult. There are things about being black that are difficult and unfair and unjust. Let's just admit that. Like, I don't have a problem saying it. If I look at the economics, if I look at the statistics, actually, you know, white males are killed more than blacks uh, by the police. Even that said, uh, it is a high number. If you look at the population, you go, this is too high. Now you can say, well, some of it's behavior, you know, the, the white males aren't, you know, the whites aren't doing the, pro the things that the blacks are doing. The blacks are breaking the law. I, I get all that. I don't want to get into those arguments, but at the end of the day, who's going to argue that it's, that it's awesome being a black person in America. I think it's hard. I think it's hard. I, I don't subscribe to the idea of institutional racism. I don't. I've had discussions. I have a, I have a friend, a black friend. He's a consultant, talks a lot about this stuff. He's into it. We've argued. I've listened to his thoughts on it. I just don't agree. Now, I'm a white guy saying to a black guy, I don't agree about your experience. That's kind of rich. But I, don't, I, I, I think the deeper issue is, uh, is more an issue of fatherlessness than it is institutional racism. I might get canceled for saying that, but, um, and we can explore that at some point. I think this is true for any race. I don't think this has anything to do with your skin color. I think you remove men out of a culture. I don't remove either sex. If you remove women out of a culture, you have different issues, but you remove men out of a culture, which Lyndon Johnson's policies back in the 60s did, uh, you have you kind of reap the whirlwind down the road. And I think that's more what we're looking at than not. But anyway, even saying all that, even saying that, yeah, I, I understand uh, that racism is a thing, that being black in America is difficult, et cetera. I hate the fact that these corporations just glom on because at the end of the day, they're just doing this to make a buck. You know, what is it about big boy that differentiates them? What about their product differentiates them? What about the experience 
What problem is Big Boy solving? What experience is it creating? What brand promise is it delivering? What brand expectation should I have when I deal with Big Boy? Quite frankly, when I think of Big Boy, I think of old, tired, dirty restaurants. Why? I don't know. I don't even go in a Big Boy anymore. I just don't think that it offers me anything that I'm interested in. I can get a much better burger two doors down at some little uh, niche shop or even a chain that does it better. I mean, I just don't know what Big Boy does that's better. And so often I think these companies are in a position like, what are we going to do to juice the numbers? We got to get some numbers. And I don't blame them for that. You've got to get the numbers. That's the thing. You've got to get the numbers. That's part of being in business. But if the best you can do is come up with some campaign that kind of culture jacks the latest uh, topic that's going on, the latest uh, drama, the latest heartbreak, the latest human misery, the latest unrest in society, and you're going to culture jack that and go, yeah, we're getting rid of big boy. Hello, Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. Anyway, uh, I will not sing to you because I'm already... Uh, probably going to lose people <laughs> just by the things I'm saying. No, no need to make it even worse by singing. So yeah, so that's the thing with Big Boy. Uh, they're even kind of couching this as, you know, wink, wink, this is temporary. What are they going to do? Change the name of the company to Dolly? They're just going to change it to Dolly? I don't think so. They're going to stay Big Boy. There's no way around it. They're, they're in like Flynn, as they say. They're, unless they completely change their name to like to Bob's Burger Shack. Even then, it's a male name. I mean, what are you going to do? You, they're stuck with Big Boy. This is just a little bit of a marketing campaign. Good for them. I mean, hey, I hope, I hope it works. But at the end of the day, I just would love to see companies like this be more creative and dig a little deeper. Dig deeper into your organization. Dig deeper into your product. Dig deeper into the customer experience. Are you looking at the, 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 uh, the, the, the customer's journey? What is it like for them to engage you from the moment they walk in the door to the, to the moment they leave? What is their experience like? Are you mapping that? Are you innovating? Are you looking at ways? The biggest innovation they've come up with is a chicken sandwich. I mean, think about that. It's a chicken sandwich, folks. It doesn't get any more vanilla. What, what do we say whenever we're trying a piece of some food that we've never had before? Someone goes, here, I want you to try this, these frog legs. Now, not being French, I've never had frog's legs. So I try the frog legs. What do I say? Oh, it tastes like chicken. I mean, chicken is like the de facto baseline flavor for any meat is chicken. It's kind of our, our, it's our fallback flavor. So the biggest innovation that big boys come out with that they're attaching a new mascot to and the big clucking deal hashtag and the Twitter campaign, et cetera, is a chicken sandwich. Guys, like this isn't 1982. So I just, I just uh, wish for their sake and for companies like them that they would dig deeper and say, what is it about our product that's better? What is it about our product that's unique? What can we do about our company and the experience that we create? How can we innovate? Innovation doesn't have to be a billion dollar game. Innovation can be incremental. Innovation, some, some innovations are so small, but they have the biggest impact. You go to a hotel and you go in the room and your, and your uh, cover has been turned down and there's a chocolate on the pillow, hey, that's like, that's an innovation. How much does that innovation cost at hotel? Now you go, okay, one chocolate uh, across, you know, thousands of beds across all the hotels they own. Okay, great. I understand it. You're, you're, you're throwing soap and, uh, and shampoo away like, like anything. So George says, I got to throw this in here. George says, no, 
it's not ain't 1982, but it's a lot of 1984. Well said, George. That's uh, that's a good that's a good one. But um, how much does it cost you to throw a chocolate on a pillow? Hardly anything. But that the impact that that has on your customer can be huge. It's memorable. It's a small touch. What is Big Boy doing? The best they can do is a chicken sandwich. Hey, all right. I'm going to stop dragging Big Boy here. I do wish the best. I've got nothing against the brand. They haven't done anything bad to me. I, I'm, not, I'm not taking a burn to them like I am uh, like Gillette, you know, and somebody brought them up a little earlier. I just want to jump back in here. Um, Christian says, good for you, but we have to be careful because a downturn may be on the horizon. Absolutely. Christian's referring to my uh, comments about how well the business is going. Christian, I'm with you 100%. I'm always concerned about that, always concerned about that. And, and, it, and you know, it's humbling. It's like when you're busy, and, and I hope that this comes across in the way that I talk about these things, when you're busy, because I, when I ran my agency at an agency back in the day, a handful of years ago, we went through the 2008, 2009 uh, economic crash. It was devastating. My, my digestive system to this day is still messed up from the stress and strain. I mean, that just, it ruined me. It ruined me. It was, it was one of the worst, one of the worst experiences of my life. It was also an amazing experience. I learned and grew, learned and grew so much from that and, and was so humbled by the way that my employees uh, dug in and we got through it together. So I'll, I'll always be grateful. Never forget that. But, but when I look at where I'm at right now at today's economy, it's humbling and, and I don't take it for granted. I, it's, for me, it's a day by day thing. I, uh, and, and you'll know by the way that I am running my cash. I'm very conservative with the cash. I'm, I'm paying down as much debt as I can. I'm packing away as much uh, uh, cash as I can. I'm just trying to be as conservative as possible. I'm not unwilling to spend but I'm not taking anything for granted because like you said, Christian, you don't know. I mean, today's good, but there could be another big downturn and I could be sitting there with empty pockets like the rest of us at the breadline saying, not that the rest of us, like we could all be at the breadline together saying what happened. Uh, also, Christian says, last year Gillette ad was the worst, not buying Gillette no more. I don't blame you. I, and I talked to a lot of men. Now I shave, uh, not my face, for those of you that can see, I, am a, I, I shave my head. I'm a balding male, strangely. It's amazing that a man so beautiful and with such superior genetics could have balding. I know you're all surprised, but yeah, so I'm a little balding and I shave my head uh, two, three times a week and uh, same. I, uh, I, but I've talked to a lot of guys and they're all, a lot of them just said, yeah, not buying those anymore. And, you know, Procter Gamble took quite a hit. Like, I think I mentioned this before in another podcast, but I think it was like $5 billion hit. Uh, from that. So yeah, that, that was, uh, and, and George agrees is yeah. Um, oh, George says happy to hear that your business is doing good. And he says, yeah, Gillette was really over the top. Uh, yeah. And then, um, Christian Frederico says not man is okay. Culture cancel culture is not good. Can't, I think he's just essentially saying cancel, cancel culture is not good. All right. Well, that, that wraps up the piece on, uh, big boy. You know, I'm half tempted. I'm half tempted to go find a big boy and have myself a burger or a chicken sandwich because I, I feel like I'm dragging them. I, and this is the problem. They're, they're so off my radar. They just haven't done anything remarkable. And to be a burger shop, you don't have to do, it's not like you've got to cure cancer. I'm not asking you to like, you know, I'm not asking you to, to, uh, to cure cancer. I'm just saying like, where's the innovation? And by the way, folks over in uh, Warren, Michigan, if you're listening to this podcast, give me a holla. I'd be happy to talk. I, th I think there's some amazing things that could happen 
uh, for the, it's all, really it's about the customer experience. If you can create an experience that is unique in some way, uh, I know it's about new products. You've got to be putting new products out there, and and you know. Uh, you know, maybe the chicken sandwich has been a, a cultural, there's been a battle. Maybe the founder was like anti-chicken. He was a beef guy. And so, and, and there are people just for generations, like we can't do chicken. So maybe it's a big deal for you guys, but I think there's an opportunity to differentiate big boy in a way that, um, could be special. And I think you got to own who you are. It's fine to roll Dolly out. No problem with that. I don't have a problem with that, but, but don't be ashamed of Big Boy. Big Boy's special. He's unique. He's iconic. We kind of know him. And I think you've got an opportunity to have more of a narrative, more of a story. What is and who is Big Boy? What does he believe in? And um, I think you're missing out on that. I think when everybody's zigging, you should zag. I'm not saying that you should be insensitive. I'm not saying that you should ignore the times you're in. I'm, you should be savvy. But I think you've got something special, and I don't think you're taking advantage of it. That's just me. And to come out and say, well, we're going to jump on this mascot murder bandwagon, well, I can't agree. I just don't think that's the way to go. But hey, what do I know? I'm just some kid from Rochester, New York, right? So what do I know? All right, let's talk Kanye 2020. What do you guys think about Kanye 2020? I mean, I just find this is, it's just like such a funny We just live in such a strange time. Kanye 2020. (laughs) By the way, I got to throw this up here. George says, next episode, Mike, hey, I got a marketing deal with Big Boy. Now, that would be be funny. And then you guys would call me a sellout. You'd be like, he's just using this to pitch work. He's just using it. We've all been taken advantage of. Mike's not sincere. He's just been using this whole thing to, to pitch work. So let's talk Kanye 2020. Uh, by the way, <laughs> if, if Big Boy gets in touch, I'll be sure to let you guys know. Unless, of course, I'm under an NDA, and then I can't, I can't say a word. Kanye 2020. So, you know, look, I remember, I, I thought it was Kanye 2020, I, and maybe it was Kanye 2024, but I, I remember when the Republicans had about 1,000 people in the field. Trump was able to kind of overcome them all, and it was Trump versus... Uh, it was Trump versus um, uh, Hillary uh, Clinton there. And he trounced her. You know, well, yeah, he stole the election, according to half the nation. I don't know. But he won. That's what the Electoral College is for. And um, I remember around that time that Kanye came out with Kanye 2020. I, correct me if, you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but I thought that was a thing back in the day. So clearly Kanye's been kind of playing with this idea. Now, to me at the time, it was more of a marketing stunt. It was a publicity stunt, probably is a more accurate way to say it. But you know, it's interesting when Kanye came out and said, hey, I'm on the 4th of July, he announced he's gonna run for president. A lot of people said, oh, this is a stunt. I, I knew immediately that he was serious. I knew immediately that he means it. Now, do I think that Kanye is a serious contender? Do I think that Kanye can win? Well, I think in this day and age, you're a fool to say definitively that one thing can or cannot or will or will not happen. I just don't think anybody should these days be so confident to say, oh, there's no way that Kanye can win. I don't think that Kanye is going to win. That's my gut. I don't think that he's going to win. I do, you know, a guy like Kanye, like what political infrastructure does he have? It takes a lot to run a campaign and win. Now, anybody can run a campaign. I could just announce I can announce right now, hey, I, I want to let everybody know I'm running for president. Okay, I'm running for president. doesn't mean I'm even going to get on the ballot, but I'm running. I could give speeches. I could do videos. You could go to my website and donate. I could set up my little 
I don't know if I don't know if it'd be a five hundred one c three, but my not for profit, my political pack or whatever. I don't know how that stuff works. So I mean, I think anybody can, in theory, run, but you know, like not anybody can just get on the ballot, and not anybody can win. It takes a big infrastructure and a savvy in- infrastructure, an infrastructure that knows how to work the system and, and knows what it takes to get to a win. So, so I knew that Kanye was serious. I knew this wasn't just a lark. I do question his ability uh, to make this happen. But what I find really fascinating about Kanye, what drew me to him, I'm not big on his rap. I, I don't have anything against it. I've just never been like, a, I've never been into his music. It just doesn't hit me. Even when he came out as a Christian, when he came out with his kind of gospel, I, I listened to it. I, I was happy for him. And I was happy for a bunch of people that said, this really speaks to me. That I thought that was great. Uh, for me, it just didn't do anything for me. Uh, and I love rap. Don't get me wrong. I like hip hop more so, I guess, than rap. But I, I like that kind of music. Um, but it didn't, it didn't grab me. But, but what's always fascinating to me about Kanye is that he's truly a creator. I think that's the one thing about Kanye. Kanye really is an artist. You know, we talk about artists, like the artists, you know, musical artists and actors as artists and, you know, fine arts. And Kanye is a true artist. He's a true creator. He, he, he's a strange fellow in some ways. His public persona is strange. His personal life is a little strange. I mean, you know, he and Kim Kardashian have been together for a long time. They've got children. They seem to keep it together. Uh, they, they're different in many ways, but somehow they're, they're a machine. Um, it's just a very, he's just a very fascinating study. And I think the one thing that drives Kanye is creativity. And I was, and I was doing a little bit of research on the Kanye story. And, uh, I want to share with you, I think I closed, I had a window open. I'm just going to bring it back up, but I had, uh, the New York post did a story on Kanye and I thought it was interesting because Kanye kind of went through and talked about um, his platform. And, and, and it's very interesting because he talks about, you know, they, they keep asking him, well, what's your policy on this? What's your policy on that? What's your po- foreign policy? What's your policy on China? What's your policy on these different things? And his answer to all this is like, I don't have a policy. I, and, I'll, and I'll have one later, but this isn't about my policy. This is about being a creator and a designer. And he talked about, like, when I, when I was working with Nike to do my Yeezy sneakers or whatever they were, Yeezys or I don't know. Look at the old man trying to figure out the hip-hop culture. He said, at the same time, I was working with Louis Vuitton for a, a line with them. It, totally different markets, totally different products, totally different brands. But I'm able to do both. So I think what he's trying to say is I'm a designer. I'm a creator. I'm, I want to come in and look at a problem and come up. And he used these words. I want to use creativity and innovation to come up with solutions. By the way, if you hear a little barking in the background, that's, uh, that is Isabella. We have a, what is it, a two-month-old golden retriever? Is she two or three months? It's maybe three months old now. A little golden retriever that's uh, full of puppy energy. Uh, to say the least. She's a good girl, though. I think when she gets older, she's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> but she's very strong-willed. It's like when she wants to do stuff, it's like you got to do it with her now. So so I think one of Kanye's uh, kind of strengths, and I don't know how this would parlay into being a president, but one of his strengths is he's a creator. And I do think he sees himself as someone that could come in there and solve some of the problems. I think Kanye's run I don't, I mean, I think part of it's ego. You get to a certain level of society and you, you do believe your own pub. You start to believe your own press. 
And, um, and I think there's something about Kanye's uh, view of the world and in his view of his own success that tells him, hey, you probably could solve some of these problems that America has. Now, I don't know that I agree with that. I don't know that Kanye's got the horsepower to solve our country's problems. I really don't. And this isn't me trying to drag Kanye. I actually respect him. I respect him as a creator. I respect him as a, as a, as a problem solver. I, I respect him as someone who kind of knows how to read a situation and navigate through it in a way that's unexpected. So, for instance, uh, you know, when he did that whole uh, thing with Taylor Swift, I'm going to let you finish. I mean, I, I, thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was great. I loved it. It was rude. And at the same time, I loved it. And, um, and it was savvy. It was a very savvy, gutsy, bold move. It took a lot of guts to do what Kanye did. I give him credit for that kind of stuff. I kind of feel like this announcement on you know, July 4th that he's running is like him grabbing the microphone from Joe Biden saying, I'm going to let you finish, and then diving in there and saying what he wants to say. I think one of the things about Kanye's run, uh, if you take out, you know, he talked about Wakanda. He looks up to the, the, the Wakanda movie. He loves the innovation, the creativity, and he wants to create this Wakanda society. I think that's a little naive. He talks about um, wanting to be innovative. He talks about putting America first. What's your foreign policy? Hey, uh, don't have one. I think we need to fix our own country first. Um, he wants to reinstate prayer in the schools, the public school system. Good luck with that, Kanye. Uh, he wants to eliminate the death penalty because he's pro-life. You can see Kanye's faith coming through. You know, Christians are always uh, accused, well, you, you're going to bring your faith into office. I think a lot of people would like to see the death penalty um, uh, eliminated. And the interesting thing about Kanye is he's pro-China. I think his mother was a professor. She taught English in China. I, I, I'm assuming he was with her then when he's maybe five, six years old. So he has some exposure to China, and I think he really loves China. So Christian says, we need to have standards for electing politicians. This is crazy. I mean, Kanye is anti-vaccine. So if there's a vaccine to prevent COVID, he won't use it. No man, this is part of 2020 craziness. Of course it's 20. Look, I totally agree with you. I'm not telling you that I think Kanye's our next president, but I have to commentate on this because it's really fascinating. I don't think that this is a stunt. I think this is a man who has experienced so much success and is so comfortable in the limelight, and he's so comfortable being the anti-hero in the limelight, much like, much like President Trump. President Trump is comfortable being the anti-hero, and I think Kanye even more so. And I think what this is, is this is a mix. This is a mix of a guy who's comfortable in the limelight, comfortable being the anti-hero, and whose timing is impeccable. That, that timing of, I'm going to let you finish, with Taylor Swift and some of the other stuff he's done. It's just, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant timing if you, if you look at it through that lens. You take that plus the, the flack and the vitriol that Kanye has received from his own community, from the black community, for praising President Trump and saying that he is a MAGA guy. He wants to make America great again, that Trump's his hero, and that when Kanye puts on that MAGA hat, he feels like a superhero. He feels like he can fly. And I just love the, I love Kanye's way of communicating. There's a, there's a childlike honesty. And on the other hand, this guy, is, this guy is, he's a hitter. I mean, this is a very savvy, almost dangerous hitter. But he can come across as so childlike, which is, uh, which is refreshing and disarming and maybe a little dangerous at the same time. So anyway, look, I don't think that Kanye is going to be a contender. But what I think is, uh, what I think is going on, and George is saying, so are you telling us 
that you are voting for the Kardashians. No, George, I am not telling you that. I'm not telling you that. But I love, I love the fact that Kanye's come out. So I think what's happened is here's a guy who's really savvy in the limelight, who's very successful, and he's confident in himself. And I think he views the world as, I can solve any problem. Look how successful I am. I can do anything. There's that element. Anybody in his, at his level feels that way. It's just the way you are. Secondly, he's been treated really poorly by his own people. And I don't mean just black people. I mean his community, hip-hop, pop culture, black folks, everyone has been hard on Kanye for supporting Trump. And I think he's kind of pissed off about it. I think he's angry that he's been disrespected, that he's not, that his opinions have not been regarded as thought out and legitimate, that just because he's uh, on the right and he's supporting Trump, that somehow he's this terrible idiot. And I think his reaction is, you don't get to tell me who I vote for. You don't get to tell me who I have to support. I don't have to support someone based on my skin color. It's not my skin color that determines who I vote for. I support Trump because he's doing things for blacks. At the time, lowest unemployment for the black community, uh, prison reform, et cetera. Trump had done a lot for the black community. I think Kanye was recognizing that. So I think this rolling out his presidential campaign is not that he wants to compete with Trump. I think this is a punch in the mouth to the Democrats. I think Kanye knows that he's going to take away black voters from Joe Biden. And I say good. Not because I'm trying to get Trump to win, but I think the Democrats have just acted like they own the black vote and by proxy, the black people. They just act like somehow the blacks are their birthright. Like it's like the black community is property that the, the Democrats get to own on their Democrat plantation. Honestly, I mean, it's that bad. The arrogance is so thick. And so for Kanye to come out and say he's running, I think this is just a, a, a jab at the Democrats. So yeah, I'm really going to run and I'm going to get on every ballot that I can, and I'm going to take every black vote that I can, because you didn't respect me. And I'm going to show you what happens when you don't respect Kanye West. So that's my take on Kanye. What are your thoughts? Do you guys think uh, similarly? Uh, and then Joe B. Yeah, that's right. George is saying, uh, Joe Biden said, you ain't black. Like, if you don't know who to vote for, you ain't black. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's not just Joe Biden. That's the left. That's the Democrats. They just act like they own the black vote. And... Um, so, yeah, let's see. Christian says he's a billionaire and received PPP for his company. Nothing more to say. You talking about Kanye? I'm taking it. Christian doesn't like Kanye. I'm talking about Kanye as an artist, by the way. And, and I don't know any of the details. I'm not saying he's good or bad. I do respect him as a creator. I kind of like what he does. I like that he's willing to put himself out there. And if he took PPP, I don't have a problem with that either. He's got employees. Uh, that's fine. That's what that money was there for. Is it only poor business owners that were supposed to take that money? Now, if he didn't need the money, that's different. And he's a billionaire, probably didn't need it. I mean, I don't know the details, Christian. I don't want to get myself in too much trouble here. So I can't commentate on that too much. But, um, but that's it. What are your thoughts on Kanye? Christian, I think, Christian, man, you've gotten religion. And I say that in respect because you went through uh, having COVID, which I have not. So you experienced it firsthand. I'm guessing that's changed maybe some of your views. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it would for me. Now, a lot of people are getting COVID and uh, yeah, a lot of people are getting COVID and don't even have symptoms. So it's kind of a strange thing going on right now. Speaking of COVID, let's jump over uh, and talk a little, about, a little bit about Gilead Sciences and uh, their vaccine for the coronavirus called Remdesivir. Uh, yeah, George is just saying, hey, 600 hedge funds took PPP. 
Look, and the thing is, I, I can guarantee you, Kanye's not sitting there with the books. He's not, I mean, I don't know, but I can guarantee you if I had to gamble, he's not sitting there with the accountant in the books and he's saying, hey, get that PPP money. I'm a billionaire, but I want that PPP. Now he's going to rap about, yeah, I took the PPP. You know, it's like, I don't think Kanye's up there saying we need that PPP. This was, a, a, he's got legal folks and accountants. He's got all kinds of people. If he's a billionaire, multi-billionaire, he's got to be surrounded by legal people just for the rights to his music, just the rights to his, to his creative content that he's, that he's, that he's got. Uh, to, he's got to have people helping him. So often these people are like, hey, we're taking care of this, by the way. I mean, who knows? It could have been a quick discussion. The government's got some money available. It's available to any business. We're going to grab it. Now, here's one thing that I do know. A lot of companies grab the money, not needing it, thinking we might need it. Just like we were talking about earlier. I was saying, hey, I'm doing great, but I don't know if I'm going to do great tomorrow. A lot of companies took that money because we all really didn't know what we were looking at. And I know some companies that said, yeah, we grabbed the PPP and we put it in the bank. We're not using it, but it's there because if stuff goes sideways, which it could at any moment, because each state, each governor, the federal, everybody, it was mixed messages. It was getting more and more draconian. Uh, consumers were stopping their purchasing. They couldn't go to stores. I mean, things were getting crazy by the day, by the day. Honestly, if the PPP was available to you as a business and you didn't jump on it, you were probably foolhardy or taking a risk. Now, I didn't jump on it. I didn't look for it. I was like, yeah, I just hired an employee. I'm not even going to research it. I don't even know if I qualify. I'm not going to bother. Uh, but, but that was me. But a lot of companies said, I want it in the bank because here's the thing. If the bottom falls out for us tomorrow, because sometimes in business, you can have billions of dollars, but they can be all tied up in real estate and equipment and inventory and employee salaries. I mean, some of these companies with thousands of employees, do you know how much money on every week goes out the door just for salaries? just for salaries. You have, folks have no idea the millions that go out the door weekly for these giant companies for payroll. And so a lot of these companies grabbed the PPP. There's no question because it was legal. Doesn't, doesn't mean it was moral, but that's, that's on the lawmaker side. The lawmakers didn't take the time to think through. It's like, oh my God, we've got to get billions of dollars, uh, trillions out into the economy as fast as possible uh, so that we all don't die because this coronavirus is going to be a, it's going to destroy, it's a, it's a, it's a game changer. This is, this is an um, existential threat to humanity and society. They, but they didn't take the time to think through it. You got the two sides fighting. Everybody's trying to pack some pork in there and get some stuff in there. And if the only way you're going to get it done is just to get it through and not to be too picky. They weren't picky. You can't blame these companies for grabbing it and sitting on it. Now, what becomes a problem is when they grab it, sit on it, don't need it, and they don't give it back. That's, that's a problem. And that's happening a lot. But again, this is the way the lawmakers set it up. So can I blame Kanye for that? Is Kanye personally responsible? Ultimately, it's his name. It's his company. But he's got a, an army of accountants and attorneys and advisors, and they take care of all that crap. Do you think he's going to sit and spend a week researching all this? I was getting emails every day from my accountant and his firm on the PPE thing. And every day they were having web webinars and meetings and seminars and they had all kinds of content. It's like you could spend you could spend eight hours a day just getting up to date on PPP and the latest thing from the government to help you out. And I just said, I, I've got a business to run. I don't have time for all this. And, you know, it's me and my son working in the, in the consultancy, so we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll take care of each other however we need to do that. Um, 
But you know, you've got a hundred employees, a thousand employees, tens of thousands of employees, like a lot of these companies, I can't necessarily blame them for being willing to grab that money and sit on it in case they need it. That's what you do. Why wouldn't you? So there's that. Anyway, not, I don't mean to chastise anybody. It's not that I don't agree with you being angry about it, but I just want to put a little bit of reality on this. Like sometimes people are so incensed, like he personally did this. He probably had no clue about it. Connie does not strike me as a guy who's spending lots of time with the accountants, hanging out with the bean counters, yucking it up over, uh, uh, you know, generally acceptable accounting practices. So there's that. But let's talk about remdesivir. You guys heard of remdesivir? So the market was lagging a little bit this week, and then it had like a 350-point pop after Gilead Sciences announced that its viral uh, combatant remdesivir that supposedly is fighting the coronavirus is proving to be, uh, it reduces the risk of death. And I find that very interesting. I mean, it, re it, it reduces the risk of death. So the news that remdesivir reduces the risk of death, death made the... Uh, Stock market jumped 350 points on Friday as the market started to close. And, you know, I don't want to get too deep into this. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories about Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci with Gilead. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they quashed uh, chloroquine because they, they're trying to get remdesivir because they're going to make all kinds of money. Then all these fact check organizations, no, they're not going to make money because they didn't invent it. But if you do some research and try to see is Fauci connected with Gilead, it's very hard to find that information. Lots of people claim that he's on the board, that he's an advisor, that he's paid by them, et cetera. It's very hard to find that if, if that is the case. And, it, and I, I don't know if that's Google or what. Like you, you put in the strings and search and it's just Google will not give back good information. I'm not saying that they're hiding that he is. I don't know if he's on the board. It's just that you, you're, you get results back that are non-informative one way or the other. A little frustrating if you're trying to do some research there. But a lot of people are sure that Fauci and Gates, you know, they're, that, the, that, the, uh, that the call is in and they're going to make some money off this if this thing pops. That's why they've squashed it. Uh, the, that's why they squashed chloroquine that was obviously cheaper. And the other thing that people are saying is like, yeah, that's why the, the, all the, the testing, they want the numbers up, the fear and so on. I can't comment on that. I, I don't have insight into all that stuff. But what I do find interesting is the fact that the market popped the way it did on the, on the news. That, that tells me one thing. It tells me that there's a real, I'll, I'll just say concern or fear amongst the population of, of death from COVID still. Now, what's interesting is with all the testing that's going on, America's getting more and more cases. That's partly the spike is due to the fact that we're just testing a lot more than we used to. I know in New York State, you couldn't get a test unless you were deemed kind of essential. Like if you worked at a nursing home, et cetera, you could get a test for free. Now the governor's made it that any, any member, uh, any citizen, any, I guess, resident, maybe anyone in New York State, I think resident, is now able to do that. You can just go up to uh, Walgreens are doing them. They've got some drive-through testing. They're paid for. You don't have to pay for them yourself. They're subsidized by the taxpayers of New York State in America. And you can get those, you can get those uh, tests done. But, but the fact is, you're getting a lot more testing. If in my state, anybody in the state can get it, a lot of people are jumping in. And, and I think at the end of the day, people are just fearful. And that's what's driving this. Now, I, you know, I'm curious because we've got Christian. I don't know if he's still on the stream or not. 
I've been kind of poo-pooing this thing. I know that it's brutal. Like I know that people that have gotten it have died. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not true. I don't trust the numbers being reported. I think that um, some of the healthcare systems have been misreporting. I had firsthand accounts of, of deaths being attributed to COVID from healthcare clinical workers telling me that, yeah, there's stuff being attributed to COVID that's not. Um, so I, I heard that going on. I've had concerns about the way that we are treating, at least in New York City, people come in. If you remember, Governor Cuomo was really big on these ventilators. He, he was actually sending the National Guard or the state, the state police. I don't remember what it was, but to come throughout the state and seize uh, ventilators from other private property people that, you know, private entities and then bring them down to New York City because he, he needed them. He was just using his gov, gov, gubernatorial, I think, uh, powers to do that. Um, outraged a lot of people saying, well, what if I get sick tomorrow and you've taken my ventilator and I don't have one? But I, I actually wonder, because you don't hear about ventilators anymore, was the intubation, was the ventilation of these people actually causing a lot of the deaths? Were their lungs in such a uh, brittle state from, from fighting the disease, the virus, that you put them on a ventilator, it destroyed their lungs and they died. And part of the reason they put people on ventilators wasn't because they couldn't breathe, although breathing was an issue and is an issue. But part of the reason they put people on the ventilators was because they were trying to contain the virus within that body. If you've got all these people in a hospital and they're breathing the virus out into the air, if you ventilate them, if you intubate them, now you're, you've got their respiratory system as a closed system. They're, they're not, they're not, you know, breathing out into the air where the general population is going to get that virus. We didn't know enough about it. So that was one way to contain it. Just keep it in their body until it runs its course and we keep them alive. And then they come out the other end. I think a lot of people died actually from being put on ventilators. Another big group of people died, again, were the elderly in nursing homes and senior care facilities. And this, uh, again, were bad policies, a number of states, mine included, where uh, these senior care facilities, nursing homes, were, were demanded, were commanded by the state to take in COVID patients. If a hospital was discharging an elderly person with COVID, you couldn't refuse them if you were running a uh, long-term care, elder care facility. Well, then it gets into that population, one of the most vulnerable population, tens of thousands of people affected by that. Many, many family members, you know, uh, they've lost loved ones because of it. So, so where am I going with all this? I'm not calling BS on the virus. We've talked about the virus in the past, but I am questioning um, this fear. You know, what you're hearing right now in the news is a lot of talk about the spike. It's the spike, the spike. All these states, there's a spike, there's a spike. What you're not hearing anyone talk about is the death rate. How lethal is this virus now? Have we looked at it? Is it becoming less lethal? Is it becoming less of a threat to my life? Yes. Is it miserable? I've had some sicknesses that I wish I were dead. I've had some terrible. I was in Africa. I was in South Africa once. I got a gastro thing that I, I wished I were dead. It was the worst gastro. I mean, I just, it, it, near, it didn't nearly kill me, but I felt like I was dying. I was so weak. And I've had the flu before that's knocked me out, you know, 10 days where I could barely walk to get to the toilet. I mean, that's how bad. Uh, I've been sick before and not, not, these aren't terrible, but they're miserable. You know, is COVID becoming something more like that where it's miserable, but not necessarily life-threatening? And, and my question is, there's so much media attention on this thing, so much media hype, so much, so much hyperbolic language about this, so much emotion around this. Yes, people get it. 
and it is miserable. And people have absolutely died from this thing, but people have died from the flu. People, you, you can die from a host of things, a host of innocuous, mundane things can kill you. We all know that that's part of life. I think the reason this becomes important to talk about isn't because I think COVID is fake. It's because of the way that we have been fed this nonstop six month diet of, oh my God, this thing's going to kill you. And I just think that people are at a point right now where they're just terrified. And that makes me a little concerned because as we know, in any political, like you look at the U.S., we were fearful of terrorism. We, we couldn't wait. We were begging for the Patriot Act, begging for it. And now 20 plus years later, not 20 plus, almost 20 years later, uh, we're sitting here saying we've lost all our personal liberty. The government listens in on everything, our phone calls, they read our emails. It's like we gave up our freedom. We do not have the right anymore to live life on our own terms. Now, this isn't a matter of like, I'm angry because I have to wear a mask. This is more about when we're fearful, we're willing to do things that go against our own best interests. Sometimes it's better to tough it out and be miserable to get through the other side and retain control over yourself, to retain, uh, um, to be self-possessed. But in the moment, you'll almost do anything to get out of it, almost anything. In my concern and, uh, and, and with the market responding so strongly about remdesivir is that there is this lower level kind of underlying terror and fear that I feel has partially been hyped. Look, n I'm, I don't want to get COVID. I'm a little fearful of it. I think we all, no one wants to get it. No one wants to get this thing. And it seems like a roll of the dice. It, you, um, you talk to one person, it, it's nothing. You talk to somebody else and, and it'll kill you. And I think we're all sitting here going, I don't know. But the problem is we've been fed such a diet of rhetoric and dishonesty and manipulation, in my opinion, my humble and accurate opinion. Uh, you've got this, this Gilead Science is putting out this remdesivir in record time. And what happens? Everybody lines up to get it. What happens? What are you putting in your body? What are the long-term effects? Does anybody know? Have we tested this enough? Is this really even necessary? You know, is this, do we even really know enough about the coronavirus and COVID-19 to be, to be making these kinds of decisions? Does the general population understand what their real risks are? I don't think so because we're being fed a steady diet of propaganda and misinformation. I don't think this is a big conspiracy. I don't think that coronavirus was put out there on purpose, but I think people are capitalizing just like at the beginning of the show, I talked about big boy capitalizing, you know, on this mascot murder movement and saying, let's roll out a chicken sandwich, throw big boy to the dogs just for a little while. We'll put Dolly out there, make people feel good about us, maybe get a little bit of limelight. Maybe we can get Mike Gaston to talk about us on his uh, podcast, The Currency, drive tons of revenue and traffic into our store. Okay, but I think it's the same thing. They're capitalizing, just like big boy was capitalizing or has been capitalizing. I think this remdesivir, Gilead science, I think the media, this is a capitalization on a situation. And at the end of the day, you know, it's the average person, it's people like you and I, that end up being the losers. Policies are put in place, laws are put in place and enforced, and we lose just a little bit more of our freedom. Remdesivir on the market, I don't have a problem. I've got no problem with Gilead Sciences putting out a vaccine. I support them. That's the free market. Come up with a solution to a problem. My, the issue that I have is I don't think we really understand what we're dealing with. And yet we're clamoring, we're lining up, we're begging for this thing to be injected into our bodies. And we don't even know what we're fighting. We don't even know 
how uh, high our risk is for fatality. This could be a minor inconvenience. Uh, some articles are saying it leaves you brain damaged. I mean, it's just, it's just like all over the place. We just don't know, and yet we're rushing this thing through. And I think that's a big mistake. That's a big mistake. But you know what? I am not king, not even for a day, not yet. If I were, things would be so much better. Don't you agree? Guys, I'm so grateful for your time today. I'm glad you joined me. If you haven't done so already, do me a favor. Please subscribe to this podcast. Now, you can find it on any, on any platform, anywhere. Anywhere. It's hard to say. I don't know why I stalled. I had a little brain cramp there. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I've already had some brain damage. Um, you can find the, the currency anywhere that fine podcasts are provided. That would be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, etc. You can also, as I said at the opening, join us for the live stream. I also publish it afterwards on YouTube, so you can join us live. Uh, usually on the weekends, I try to uh, let people know ahead of time. I'm going to get into a, a schedule here. It's just hard to find a time that works for everybody, but we'll get this thing out uh, onto a regular schedule soon. But just subscribe to my channel. You get a heads up if you hit the notification bell to let you know when there's a new one out there. Uh, you can also watch it after the fact, maybe play it in the background, listen along. Guys, I love you all. I'm grateful for you guys. I hope you have a great day and great rest of the weekend. And I look forward to visiting with you soon. Bye now.